When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My Seven Chakras, episode 370. The Seven Chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body, from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras, and now your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My 7 Chakras, my7chakras.com, the show where we help you experience effortless healing awakening and abundance. In today's episode, we're going to talk about a variety of topics all relating to energy healing, energy medicine, experiencing more balance, clearing out your blocks and stuck energy and how you can get in touch with your higher self. But before diving in, I'd like to remind you that I've recently released a 24-page PDF document that outlines some of my favorite ways to raise my vibrations and start feeling better almost immediately. So if you'd like to grab that free download, then go to my7chakras.com forward slash feel better now. That's my7chakras.com forward slash feel better now. And you can grab that download. All right. So to bring on our special guest for today, Ellen Meredith. Ellen is the author of the newly released book, which we're going to talk about today, The Language Your Body Speaks, an intuitive and energy medicine practitioner with over 35 years of experience. She has served on the faculty of energy medicine, pioneer Donna Eden, since 2010 and teaches energy healing techniques all over the world. And in today's episode, we're going to explore what she has shared in her new book, The Language Your Body Speaks. So Ellen, are you ready to inspire? <laughs> sure, but what I want to uh, do is maybe help people find their inner inspiration, the inspiration that comes from them, because each of us is inspired by different things and in different ways. And I love to celebrate how different we each are and um, helping people find their own path to, um, to awareness. Wonderful. I love that you sort of play the role of a mentor so that you can point people in the right directions and allowing them to take steps that will help them find their way, which is wonderful. Um, We usually start our show with uh, any inspirational quote. Is there a quote that comes to your mind right now, something that you can share and maybe tell us how you apply that quote in your day-to-day life? (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I'm not one of those people who actually works for quotes. from quotes. I actually like to come up with things to say in the moment that are true for the moment because I'm I'm really a language geek. And so um, that's a hard one for me. I don't carry around um, favorite quotes per se. Um, So yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give one uh, in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm hoping that as, as we talk, I'll say things that will strike a gong for people and um, 
they don't have to quote me, but maybe awaken them to their own quote. Great. Sounds good. I love that uh, we're going to have some gong moments in today's <laughs> episode because I love Qigong. And I know that in your yeah. book, you draw a lot from uh, traditional Chinese medicine, right? When you talk about yeah. the five elements, you talk about the meridians and things like that. Um, so how did it all begin for you? Like, where did it all start? Okay. Uh, maybe if you can talk about uh, your childhood, how, what was it like? Okay. Well, I was originally trained by my inner teachers. And um, it it actually started, you know, before I became aware that I was psychic or had intuitive abilities, I was very, very attuned to languages. And I talk a little in the book about how I used to listen to foreign language programs all the time. And I was just fascinated. And I, I felt like could I, I could understand them, even though I didn't know what the words were. I felt like there's something in language that speaks to us beneath the specifics of the words. And then later on, um, I, I, I'm a writer. I'm a creative writer as well. And I had finished a novel and I was waiting for inspiration. And my grandmother, who's dead, showed up behind me with a message for me. <clears throat> and I thought, well, this is interesting. And I wrote it down. And through a series of coincidences, I ended up at a little psychic fair and the psychic looked at me and she said, your maternal grandmother is standing behind you and she has a message for you. And then she repeated the message that I had gotten already. <laughs> and I was a little bit of a brat. I said, well, doesn't she have anything new to say? <laughs> you know, but, but I was very interested. Is, <clears throat> and I asked the psychic, are you reading my mind or are you really tuning into my grandmother? Is she really there? And I give her credit because this was a $5 reading. And she said, it's my belief that your grandmother's really there and that you're picking up on her energy and that you can get messages. And if you just would slow down and listen, you would hear them. So a couple of days later, I was cleaning my house, which was an unusual activity for me at the time. And I noticed the sticker tape in my head of letters. And I thought, yeah, what if they say anything? So I started writing them letter by letter on the typewriter. And they, they were a message from my inner teachers. And they said, we're going to teach, we're going to come train you. We're going to give you ideas. We're going to give you uh, insights. We're going to explain things. And then you're going to have experiences in your life that uh, teach you how to understand the perspectives that we're introducing. And so I went through a very intensive, at least, well, it, training. I was going to say seven years, but it's 40 plus years. You know, I've been doing it for many, many years now, and they're mm. still training me. <clears throat> but they did at some point say, you're going to get very ill. And in the process of healing, you're going to learn how to become a healer. Mm. And I thought, well, that's okay. <laughs> it wasn't something that I set out to do, but it happened. I had moved to California. I did get very sick. I went to a doctor who said, I can't help you. What you have isn't medical or, you know, isn't something that medicine can help you with. I'm going to send you to a complementary pr practitioner. Mm. And so I went to this applied kinesiologist who was a chiropractor and I was just enchanted. She worked with meridians and, and various subtle energies. And I had never heard of any of this stuff. And what I discovered in the process of getting better was that I could see my own energies. I could see her energies. I could predict what the muscle test, they do muscle testing in that tradition, what they were going to say. And I could look at the pills on the wall, the, all the supplements, and I knew which ones I needed and what mm. doses would be. And I, it never occurred to me that this was possible, except there I was with nothing to do but lie there while she worked with me. And it was like, I, this awoken me. And um, so that's how I got started. And when I was had recovered, 
that practitioner called and said, hey, can you do that with other people? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> and I went in and I was able to um, see what was going on for other people. So I started working in her office as a medical intuitive and people started coming for channeled readings and healings. And it just it just grew from there. It just took off. And I've been doing it for, I think, 36 years now professionally. So um, wonderful. People. Well, <laughs> well, thanks a lot for sharing that. Um, now, you did mention in your response that uh, the person that you were working with said that your grandmother was somewhere in the back and she was trying mm -hmm. to communicate with you. And then you said that um, in your process of becoming a healer, you had to go through a healing crisis and you had mm -hmm. many health challenges that you experienced. So firstly, and the reason why I asked this is because many years back, somebody that was in my college mm -hmm. who had access to his psychic awareness mentioned that I had my grandfather at the back uh -huh. who was trying to communicate with me. So uh, based on your experience, why do you think our grandparents, uh -huh. our ancestors try to communicate with us? And B, what was the purpose of you having to go through all these health challenges in your path okay. to becoming a healer? Like what was the significance uh -huh. of that? Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would have liked an easier path. Thank you very much. <laughs> but it was, it was, it was a learning experience. If I, I think someone trying to be a healer who's never experienced illness, maybe doesn't know what it feels like to have that experience and eat. And I, I think of it almost like a, a process of being a detective. You know, when something, when the body speaks up with symptoms or sensations or blockages or your life has blockages. The process of solving that problem awakens you to possibilities. It, it allows you to make connections with people or processes or situations you wouldn't encounter if you didn't have a need. So it's a little like the carrot and the stick. I had a lot of the carrots pulling me forward, but I had a few sticks along the way. So that's part of that, the answer to that question. And why do I think um, sometimes our grandparents or ancestors show up? What I was told by my inner teachers and my grandmother was that because I had loved that grandmother and maybe better than any other relative, no offense, any relative who's listening to this, I really loved my grandmother. It was a friendly face that allowed me to open to hearing uh, another dimension of being. She, she did not become a main teacher for me. She was part of these collective consciousnesses that I call my councils um, and and so she was the face that gave them access or me, me access to my own inner hearing, my own inner awareness. And mm. I think that's that's the purpose that it is, um, you know, they they sort of send someone familiar because it's easier than letting a stranger in the door. You know how to trust them and how to not trust them. Interesting. So for those who are listening right now, take a moment to think about maybe some signs or um messages or things that you noticed over the past few days or even months that could suggest that somebody who is in your family, maybe your grandparents or maybe your ancestors, somebody that was close to you is trying to communicate with you, right? So, uh, can, Ellen's, I, can, yeah, please sorry, can, can I also offer a suggestion along with that? Yeah. Which is, I think it's fine to open to dialogue by acting as if you can already do it. And so I would invite people, I think that's what you said was absolutely true. Look for signs, look for evidence, because 
the inner uh, mind speaks a very symbolic, metaphoric language. It, it doesn't necessarily speak English or Hindi or you know some specific tongue. It, it speaks in metaphors. It speaks in imagery. It speaks in sensations. Um, and I do talk in, about this in my book a lot, that the language of energy, what, what it consists of. But um, it, it doesn't hurt to imagine your grandfather or your grandmother, invite them to come dialogue with you, ask some questions, and then write whatever answers or responses come into your mind or speak them into a tape recorder. And some of it may be your own mind putting stuff into their uh, words into their mouth. And some of it might well be their consciousness responding to that invitation. And consciousness does flow in response to invitation. So being, being willing to just open the mind, take a risk, have an imaginary conversation. If your dead grandfather becomes your best imaginary friend, that's still, that's already a good start. What happens over time is you start to feel a, a little bit of a different energy to a dialogue when you're getting guidance from a deeper level or a wiser level, you start to feel a different energy to it. it it's got a little bit of a vibration or buzz to it. It's, it's kind of like when you get a really good idea, you get a little more excited than just an everyday idea. We know that feeling, that kind of aha feeling. Um, so it's good to just do it as an exercise, knowing that you're creating the opening for um, guidance or insight or dialogue with your energies to come through. Mm -hmm. And speaking about your book, um, what made you name it The Language Your Body Speaks? Okay, well, The Language Your Body Speaks is energy, spoiler alert. <laughs> and um, the body really has two communication systems just built in. It's got chemical messaging and it's got energetic messaging. And the chemical messaging is what a lot of Western medicine is rooted in. You know, they they do blood tests, they look at what your chemistry is doing, and they try to balance the chemistry. But I believe and have found that the energy messaging of the body underlies the chemistry and can definitely influence it. And we all know that feeling where we fall in love and all of a sudden our chemicals are doing all different things than they were before. Um, so um, learning how to tune into the energetic signaling of mind, body, and spirit allows us to participate in our creation of self. It allows us to actually influence not just the body for, for medical wellness, but the whole mind, body, spirit expression for, for well-being, for true life, life uh, long well-being. So, um, mm. so that's why I call it the language your body speaks. Um, can I go a little further with it, or do you want to say something? <laughs> oh, no, go ahead. I mean, I was just going to sort of uh, bring our attention to something that you write in your book, um, which is when I was 12, I used to sit for hours listening to foreign radio programs. The rhythms and cadences and sounds would thrill me. The sense that there was a conversation I could almost understand pulled me in. The music of it spoke to me. I filled it filled and satisfied me in ways that the programs in English talking about boring everyday things did not. So, you know, following along what we are speaking about, you were watching or listening to these foreign programs that you did not comprehend in terms of language, but then you still were drawn to it because you could sort of digest or take in some information. So maybe talk about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like our body, mind, and spirit communicate constantly. They do, mm. you know, energy forms the body, 
And, you know, Einstein and all those folks showed us, you know, matter is energy. It forms the body, but energy also fuels the body and it also organizes the body to function. And all of that is communicated energetically. And in Western science, they talk about energy in very sort of uh, stark terms, you know, these little sparks of things, you know, these little protons and neutrons and all that stuff. But in my perspective, energy it, um, it is, is, has meaning. It ha- it is not, it's not something just uh, generic. It, it is streams of meaning. And, and if your listeners know about meridians, those are streams of energies that each have a different function and purpose and meaning to them. And mm. so um, we are, if you think of yourself as a web of meaning, you know, not just a web of energies like little sparks flying around, but a web of strands of meaning that get woven together. Each of us unique, each our consciousness weaves this beautiful weave of meaning. Then it's really great to be able to tune in and say, hey, I'd like to, to work on this strand and make bring out this theme. It's, it's, it's a wonderful thing and I'd like to make it stronger. And right. I'd like to bring this element into it. I'd like to weave this beautiful color into my being and into my nature. Mm. So um, in the medical model of thinking about things, it's very much what's wrong and how do I fix it? Mm-hmm. And that doesn't get us very far because we know from energy that whatever you put attention to, that's what you get. Mm-hmm. So if you ask all day long, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And how can I fix it? You get the body says, oh, you want to know what's wrong? Okay, well, what about this? And what about this? You know, it starts, it gets your attention by what's wrong. We mm-hmm. want to shift that so it gets your attention with what's right, what mm-hmm. is working, what is glorious and healthy and energizing and um, there's other models from other realms that do that better than the medical model. For example, right. in art or literature, we ask, what are the elements and how do they work together to convey meaning? Yeah. Right? In, liter- in language, we might ask, what's being expressed here and um, what's needed for better communication? Mm. Right? In a spiritual yeah. model, which I think your program goes into that a lot, in various spiritual models, they often ask, well, how does the how do the spirit, mind, and body co-create our reality? How do they mm-hmm. work? So self-healers, we don't have to limit ourselves to what's happening with our chemistry. When we switch over to what's happening with the energetic language, the world opens up. Mm-hmm. And we all know a lot of this. I mean, that means all of your listeners are experts in some realm of communication, or they wouldn't understand the words we're using now. Absolutely. And... I think to make it easier for our listeners to comprehend what we're talking about here, I think what you're suggesting is when it comes to language, and if you just look at the language that we use on a day-to-day basis, uh, what we're trying to communicate is not just the words or not just what these words signify, but it's like sending off a lot of information, like a package of information. And if we only limit ourselves just to the words, then we're missing out on a lot of the communication. And I think one thing that you mentioned in your book is the use of holophrases, right? Yeah. So could you talk to us about holophrases, which I think children or or babies use a lot? Right. In the book, I do talk a lot about, um, I try to give the readers uh, a total immersion experience in Mm. the language of energy. You know, it's not a language guide with vocabulary and and dialogue. It really is. I try to plunge you into awakening to how you already know this language. It's your first language. Mm. Um, And so, um, but I do compare it to how babies learn their first language because it's not a foreign language. 
Um, it's really how the it is the user's manual that's built into our bodies. It's it's our baseline language. So um, a whole phrase when a, a baby's learning uh, a language, what starts is they learn a single word. Like they'll mm. say up, and up doesn't just mean the direction up. It means mama. I want to get up. I want to be held, or I want to be put in my high chair so I can eat, or I want to get up to eye level with the adults so I can see what's going on. So they will use that word up, up, up to mean a whole lot of different things. And then the adults around them start saying, oh, you want me to lift you up? Oh, you want to greet your high chair? Oh, you want to look me in the eye? It starts helping the child put more words and more language to that holophrase or that experience. And so in learning to use the language of energy, I encourage my readers to start with those holophrases. Um, for example, there was a woman who um, noticed that she was having um, kind of panic attacks. She was a very sophisticated professional. She did very well. You know, she was very um, competent in the world. But every once in a while, she'd have this little panic attack inside where she'd revert back to a scared kid who, um, <clears throat> you know, who was at the mercy of adults who were out of control. She grew up with, around alcoholics. <clears throat> so she discovered that if she just gently stroked her wrist, very subtly, she could do this almost anywhere, or just even touched her wrist after a while, she didn't even have to stroke, she could just put her hands there, it would calm that child. So that gesture became a holophrase in her ability to communicate with her energetic being, with her, her younger self, with her body self, with her mind, and with her spirit. And, and that was a base um, vocabulary, you know, word in her energy vocabulary. It might not work for you. You might need a different one. But if each of us develop very mm -hmm. unique and individualistic gestures, touches, um, images, even words, you know, for me, the word, um, um, <laughs> there's, there's actually a word I love that I learned from Croatian. I know this is really abstract because I love the sound of it. And it was perkliaga, which means baggage. It doesn't mean anything. But to me, it's come to mean a delight in how cool something can be. Mm. What's you know, the word again? It's, it's perkliaga. It's perkliaga. a word that has, yeah, perkliaga. It doesn't have, it doesn't have many, um, vowels. It's only got consonants. And it's really, I think it's a cool word. And for me, I just appropriated it. I don't use it to mean baggage. Mm. I use it to mean something that is so cool in and of itself. It just has to be appreciated for its own self. That's mm. a whole phrase, but it's also my private code. Someone else who knows Croatian would hear me say that and think, why are you talking about baggage? Mm. <laughs> right. That's so interesting. So how many languages do you speak today? I mean, when it comes to <laughs> linguistics, do you speak um, many languages or? <laughs> well, I'm, I can read and speak in about six or seven if I have a, a, some, some time to like reread them and, and bring them back to the front. What I learned, I studied about 12 of them. And what I learned is every time I learned a new language after a while, another one would fall out the back. <laughs> my, my brain just mm -hmm. didn't want to hold them all at once. So, um, yeah, I, you know, when I'm going to travel in a country, I'll, I'll pull up a novel or something and read it and bring the vocabulary up. It's just, I was obsessed with language. It's one of the things that, you know, one of the gifts that I was blessed with. Absolutely. And I've heard that uh, learning a language allows you to uh, enter into a way of life and a way of experiencing things 
that uh-huh. limiting yourself to the language that you're already speaking does not. Because I right. think that there's a certain way of expressing, a certain way of feeling energy also that might be happening in USA versus what is happening in India or Australia or maybe in Japan. They're yeah. all sort of subtly in a nuanced way different. And I think learning the languages or language allows you to do that, right? Yes. And I had a, a kind of challenging childhood. So when I learned my first language, I really believed, oh, I could have a whole different persona or personality persona. Yeah. and experience in that other language. And even my voice was different in different languages, yeah. which I thought was weird. But I want to say something for your listeners, those of you who are sitting there going, oh, I'm not good with languages. Mm. Sure you are. You're fluent in enough in English to understand this conversation. Of course, you're Mm. good with languages. And what I'm talking about in the language your body speaks, it's not about foreign language. It's about your first language, English or in or, you know, Chinese or French or whatever language you speak every day is not your first language. Energy is our first language. And then we learn the verbal language. Infants, long before they learn how to talk, can understand even baby sign language, can understand gesture or facial expression or tone of voice. I mean, mm. my dog, my cat doesn't speak English, but she certainly can communicate with me in nonverbal ways. So part of learning to use energy to heal yourself is reclaiming the, the nonverbal language built into the body, mind, and spirit and, and it's not something foreign. It's not something you have to go learn and you don't need a special psychic gift to get it. Yeah. It's built in. We all know it. We just have been taught to ignore it and go right to the words and the formal language. That's 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 amazing. I mean, so what you're saying essentially is uh, don't just limit the communication to what you're hearing, but look at the whole person, look at their aura, look at the... Uh, facial expressions, look at the body language, look at whether they're pointing at you or pointing in the other direction, you know, taking all that information. Uh, And I love that animals, and I I don't have a pet, so I did not know this, but I've been seeing a lot of pet videos nowadays since everyone's (laughs) at home. (laughs) I've seen these videos where animals are almost like humans in their ability to either communicate love, uh, communicate wanting attention, or uh-huh. communicate that they're disappointed with the human that they live with. And I was almost baffled that it's possible with cats or, or dogs or maybe other animals as well. So it's it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, I talk about the body in the book and I talk about the body in life as my earth elemental self. It's a creature okay. self like a dog or a cat. Mm-hmm. And often I think that healing involves, especially energy healing or spiritual healing, it involves doing things that really help the body, the creature self, get the memo. When we do a lot of visualization, when we do a lot of spiritual techniques, they're awesome. But it's not always true that the body gets the memo. So the mind and, and, and the spirit can have this transcendent moment, and then you come out of your meditation or something, and you still have the owie on your knee, yeah. We have to have techniques that, that bring that earth elemental creature into the conversation. So if mm. I want my cat to understand me, I'm not going to form an elegant paragraph and explain in, in highfalutin logic why she should stop jumping on the counter. Yeah. Because, you know, it may be a beautiful expression, but she's still going to jump on the counter. I need to be able to communicate in her own language. And so that's something I go into a lot in the book is we need to communicate with our body self in her own language. And we need to train the mind 
to speak that language because um, too often we have an experience and we take it right to our brain. What does that mean? What's it? Mm. What's it symbolic meaning? What's it? What's the implication? And it's up in our head, and we haven't responded to the body to say, "Hey, thanks. That was a nice sensation." Or, "Oh, you're in pain. What can I do for you?" And yeah. you do that to an infant, and if an infant starts crying, most of us would immediately pick that infant up, cuddle him or her, cradle her, say, "What can I do? It's okay," and start helping that infant. Um, find consolation. But mm. we don't feed our bodies that way. We go right to doctor yeah. mind. What's wrong? How can I fix it? Oh, why are you going wrong? Or we start yelling at the body. We start, yeah. we don't treat our bodies very well. Yeah. And then yeah. we wonder why our bodies aren't too happy with us. Mm. <laughs> As you spoke about the baby, something came to my mind, which could be another use of holophrase. Because uh, if you think about what a baby does is they cry. Mm-hmm. And then adults cry too. Mm-hmm. But they cry for different reasons. Uh-huh. Right. So if a baby is crying, you would not assume that the baby has been rejected or the baby has gone through, you know, like a divorce or right. Uh, <laughs> right. Baby is crying most likely because it's hungry uh-huh. or because it wants attention. Whereas right. an adult will cry because of something that's more complex that's going on. Yes. Right? Yes. But they're both crying. Yes. <laughs> However, and, and I think that's so true. Yeah. And the adult who's crying because of a do- divorce mm. is also hungry and also wants love. Okay. So to respond to that sadness, we don't always have to go to a deep analysis of the emotions. If you see the emotion as an expression of an energy state, yeah. it goes down to this creature self expresses it with um, statements of what is needed. Mm. Yes, what's wrong, but it goes beyond what's wrong to say, what do I need? And it's, I need food, or I need love, or I need attention, or I need to be held, or I need to be taken out of this wet diaper that's uncomfortable. Well, anyone who's gone through a divorce knows, yeah, on some level, that's why we're crying too. (laughs) You know, I want out of this dirty diaper. (laughs) I do not want this dirty diaper in my life anymore. You know, and we, the mind has been trained to take it to more sophisticated analysis Mm. that cuts the body out of the process of healing. Mm. So the trick in learning to to communicate using energy and speak energy is to learn how to bring the body and the earth elemental self back into that dialogue, but also Mm. get the mind off the highfalutin analysis sometimes. I mean, I love that stuff. But Mm. sometimes we have to go back to, can you understand that when you feel like crap and you just want to lie around and do nothing and binge eat, binge watch television or overeat, mm-hmm. that you're just not getting enough touch and love. And can, what can I bring you right in this moment, right now? What is needed right now by mm. this body, mind, and spirit? Right. And the mind will say, oh, I need to get another relationship or I need a different job or I need to move. Yeah, maybe those solutions will help. But in this moment, none of those will help. What mm. What will address what's being communicated through the emotion, through the sensation, through the symptom in this moment in a very baseline, physicalized, but also spiritual way? When I hold the infant and console her, it's not just, you know, I can't put her on a machine that rocks her and get the same effect. I am consoling her body, mind, and spirit all at once. I'm talking Mm. or tuning, I'm holding and rocking. I'm loving, looking at her with love. I'm bringing my 
soul juice, my energy, and enveloping her in messages of safety and comfort. It's a, it's a very multidimensional communication that we engage in all the time. And we could mm-hmm. teach ourselves how to do it with ourselves all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I want to go through every moment of every day being body, mind, and spirit, not mm-hmm. body, mind, or spirit. So, so to help us unravel this some more, uh, what are the three selves? Because you talk about three selves, right, in your about. book. So what are the three selves? And then right. okay. you know, maybe if you could sort of juxtapose them together. <laughs> okay. So, there, you know, we talk about body, mind, and spirit in a lot of the literature. I use different language uh, for, some, for a various variety of reasons. I talk about the earth elemental self, which is your creature self. And mm-hmm. the instrument of the earth elemental self has built-in sensors that allow us to sense what's going on with the planet. Mm-hmm. allow us to tune into what's going on with other people. When someone says, I'm not psychic, I think, oh, you are psychic. You've got a body. Of course, you're psychic. You don't have it turned on because you're not tuned into your body on that level to hear those signals. But of course, you've got the equipment. It's mm-hmm. there, you know. So, um, so that's the earth elemental self. We have what I call a talking self, which might be considered the mind. But again, it's not the brain. It is the, the self that creates dramas, that creates identities, you know, that calls you AJ and me Ellen, you know, and, and it's multiple. It's not, you know, yes, I have the Ellen that my mother knows, and I have the Ellen that my best friend knows, and I have the Ellen that maybe uh, some a stranger meets. We have different um, dimensions of talking self. Now, yeah. I, and I'll tell you, the third self is the wiser self, and the wiser self is the spirit that animates us, that is kind of your particular flavor of soul. And when I look at you, you know, I see your soul, you know, I see your beautiful eyes and and I see your beautiful body, but I also see a soul shining through. Mm. And if you look at a dead person, you don't see that so well because Mm. you're, you know, that's not, the animation isn't active. So um, we have these three selves, but they're not separate. They are, they're on a continuum from more abstract to more concrete, right? Mm. It's, It's like, here's my soul. It creates a mind, it creates a body, and the energy flows between them and the experiences at each level mm-hmm. uh, interact and form a very rich experience of being embodied on earth. And each one has a focus. My earth elemental self is focused in the here and now, like my dog or cat. They don't care about what's going to happen next week. They mm-hmm. want it now. Yeah. You know, they want what they want now. That's the earth elemental self. And we have to honor that but we have to recognize talking self goes over all over the universe. You know, she mm. goes in imagination to visit Thailand, right? She goes mm. in imagination to think about what I'm going to do in three weeks when I'm, I'm in, in the seminar. She goes back to the past and says, oh, remember that time when her time frame is totally different from the body's time frame. And the soul's time frame, the, the wiser self time frame is even bigger. Remember mm. that lifetime when I did this? Remember that lifetime when I did that? So how do they get together as a committee? How do we spend enough time in each of those focus um, areas? And how do we integrate those focal points so one of them or two of them don't get left out? If the body is constantly left out, she's going to squawk or he's going to squawk with symptoms. He's going to get um, illnesses, chronic complaints. And when if we don't respond, then they get stronger and stronger and they, they snowball into illness. Mm. 
that's that's why I think it's useful to think of the three selves because you can think think about your day and look at well when was I really focused in my earth elemental self really focused just in being a creature and mm-hmm. when was I focused in these personalities I'm constructing and when mm-hmm. was I listening to myself when was I listening to my soul and my spirit and my inner guidance mm-hmm. and we have to have all three we can't just be one or just be the other mm-hmm. and. You know, we see this in practitioners, for example, uh, I had a wonderful um, uh, meditation teacher. Oh, she was so awake and alive and she was very good at mindfulness. So she was really attuned to her body. But she also spent many, many, many hours in meditation pose and she tanked her back. Her back just, you know, couldn't hold the stress of that pose in the number of hours she put into that pose. Mm. And she got older. She had a horrible, excruciating back problem. Because her back was saying, hey, I'm glad you're paying attention to me. But if you were listening, I was saying, hey, get off the cushion and go for a walk. (laughs) And that's not to put sitting meditation down. It's to say anything we overemphasize, that the athlete who overemphasizes the body to the detriment of the mind or soul also gets signals from the mind and soul to um, maybe change the program. Wonderful. Thanks a lot for explaining that to us so that somebody who's listening to this uh, uh, episode, no matter what aspect of their cells they're paying too much attention to, they can at least uh, learn about the importance of balance and then do more of the other activities, which is so important and nourishing for the overall body. So uh, so now talk to us about your story about becoming a healer. I know that your life has been, uh, you know, many, many different steps that you took towards your path of firstly healing yourself and then going about healing others. But how did you become a healer? Like what what was that phase or maybe that instance where you realized that, you know, now you're on this mission to heal other people (laughs) or help heal other people? Yeah, it was one of those accidental things. I mean, you know, I'd like to say do it this way, but I I don't think it it came from me. I think I felt really guided um, to do it. And what happened was that when I got uh, recovered from being ill, and, and then got called to come in and be a medical intuitive, people just started calling and making appointments. And at the time, I was a professor. I, I was teaching creative writing at a university in California. And at the end of the year, I had to make a decision because I had so many clients wanting to come for healings and also channeled readings. I had to make a decision. Am I going to continue on the path of being a, an, a writing teacher or am I going to be an energy healer? So I decided, well, hey, this one, I don't have to grade papers. So that's, mm. that's, that was really appealing to me at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I just I just let people know I started offering classes and it just unfolded. And, you know, I think there are people who decide to do something and do it very, 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 very well. But some of us get to where we're going by just taking one step at a time and it unfolds. And we can get frustrated. We want to get over here and our life mm. is taking us over here. Yeah. And and. And yet sometimes over here is the best way to get to that goal. Mm. I do believe we have an inner guidance system. I, you know, you don't have to believe in spirits or any of that stuff. Again, I just think the body's got a built-in guidance system. Mm-hmm. And when we listen to it, you know, that quiet, still voice within, hey, that's almost a quote, <laughs> it will guide us to the next thing. And sometimes the next thing doesn't make sense to us or to other people. Mm. And 
and we have to test it. I mean, if, if the guidance says, well, let's try walking in fire and I don't want to bother with training, I'd say, no, get the training and then try it. You know, if you really feel p- compelled to walk in fire, get the training. Mm. But I feel like it guides us. So I did not do formal training until I had already been a professional healer for 20, some 23 years. But I did explore different modalities. I was in groups where we with different practitioners where we each shared what, what do you do in your modality with this? What do you do when you have this situation? And we did mm. compare tools and methods and um, insights about healing. Mm. I did um, do supervision with a therapist supervisor to make sure I was doing an ethical practice. And I did four mm. years of very intensive supervision. So I, so I used professional tools. But, yeah. but then after about 23 years, what happened was I got very, very ill and I couldn't heal myself. And it was, to be honest, it was daily migraines. I had 15 years of daily migraines and I did everything. I could have, I could have helped someone else. I knew what to do for someone else. I couldn't move it in myself. And so I went to the bookstore looking for inspiration and Donna Eden's book fell off the bookshelf into my hands, uh, her book, Energy Medicine, which your reader, your folks should all get and read. It's wonderful. And um, I read it and I thought, oh my gosh, she's the real deal. Her book is a lot about self-healing, and um, within a week, I was on a, I was down in uh, in another um, city doing an intensive training in her program, and I went went ahead and became certified and on a, as an advanced practitioner within her modality. And so I use it a lot together with all the work that I've developed over the years as my foundational practice because it is, I think, one of the premier modalities that are focused on self-healing, self. Mm-hmm. There's lots of great modalities out there, and I love to to dip into them and learn from them. Mm-hmm. But I ultimately believe that we can't afford to go to a practitioner every day to to keep us well. Right. I think we have to learn. You know, if we get spinach in our teeth. We have to learn to get the spinach out of our teeth. You know, I can't go to a dentist every day to clean my teeth, mm-hmm. and I can't go to a, a hairdresser to to keep my hair neat or whatever. I can go once in a while for the haircut or the tooth. You know, the deeper work. Yeah. Ultimately, I have to be a skilled steward of this body, mind, spirit complex that is unique. So I don't know. I'm way off track of how did I become a healer? But my whole practice has been focused on how can I help you become your own healer, your own psychic, your own intuitive, your own empowered being Um, and not with and, and with real concrete tools. I mean, I don't want to be told, oh, this empower you. You know, I don't want to talk in jargon. I want to say, which makes you feel better, washing dishes or bowling? Mm. You know, what makes your energy sing? Specifically, is it riding a bike? Is it lying in bed with a book? Is it, you know, and I call that lifestyle medicine. Everything in life is energy. So Mm. everything in life becomes an energy medicine that we can do to address our energetic state in any given moment. So I try to help people navigate that kind of uh, ongoing dialogue with themselves. And that's been my practice for 36 years now. <laughs> so so when you became that healer, and like you mentioned, you had to make a decision whether to stick with your, your, your job at the university or uh-huh. branch off as a healer and supporting other people. So how did you go about uh, sort of supporting yourself financially when you first started out? Like, what's the story like? Did you face financial difficulties? Because that's a lot of 
questions I receive from, yeah. you know, people in our community. A lot of people think or feel that they want to be a healer but when they embark out as an intuitive or a healer or some other person who's supporting someone's healing process. Yeah. Uh, sometimes that becomes difficult, right? So what are your thoughts on yeah. this? Yeah, it's a hard one. Um, that was not something that I've had to struggle with. Um, but I think it's because uh, of a lesson my teachers gave me very early. Actually, when I was writing my dissertation, they said every day, write the heart of what you want to say. Mm. Just sit down and write the heart of what you want to say, write the heart of what, what is true for you today. And when you've got enough pieces, you'll see how to stitch them together. So I just said, well, I'm just going to take a leap of faith. And I had some savings because, you know, I had been working jobs before, so I had some savings. And so it, it wasn't a terrible risk. And I had a lot of friends. So I thought, well, okay, you know. And what happened was that I didn't advertise at all. It was all word of mouth. And this was before woo-woo was quite so popular. I mean, you know, back in the 80s, it was just starting to be interesting to some people. But, you know, being a professional yeah. woo-woo was not something um, a, a parent would be excited to hear their child had done. But I didn't set out to be a professional woo-woo. I said, I'm going to pursue this activity because I love it. And if I need to, I can get an editing job or I can get a part-time job. And then I just, what it would happen is, People would call, they'd tell other people, they would call. I, you know, I had a full practice within, you know, I, I mean, that's why I had to quit my job because my practice was already getting full. Um, so for a year I had two jobs and then I dropped the, the teaching. And then what happened, I noticed was if I needed to rest, no one would call. And I'd think, oh my God, I've lost my mojo. I'm not going to make any money. And then I think, or I'll go get a job, but I'll just see how it, how it unfolds. And so I'd take my rest. And when I was rested, the phone would ring and the calls would come and I'd have more clients. I did teach classes. Um, I ended up teaching in a consciousness studies program. So one of my students, my clients was a student there and, you know, brought me in and had them hire me as a faculty member. I mean, it was one of those magical things that, that you know, isn't instructive to anyone else, except, you know, I agree with, oh, I'm going to do another quote now that I couldn't think of any. I agree with Joseph Campbell, follow your bliss. Mm. You know, that I was following my bliss. I was following something that my soul, my whole life had prepared me to do. Mm. And if we don't know what it is, if, if you've got a client that says, I don't, or a listener who says, I don't really know what that is, then we just have to start with small, small bits of bliss. Mm. Well, you know, I really know that I love um, talking with people. And then you just find opportunities to talk with people in, in fruitful ways. Mm. And see how you can build on that. So um, it's not about marketing yourself. It is about doing what you love and finding opportunities to do it. And then convening other people who love that and mm. getting to pay you to convene them. Yeah. And over time, you know enough that maybe you can be a good teacher of it because you got an, a lot to say. But my yeah. teaching style is, is usually more about convening anyway. So I don't know if that's helpful to your people, but it's it's about not trying. Mm. It's about inhabiting. It's about living. Mm. And if you're living your bliss and you don't can't make a living from it, but you have another skill that gives you money, then balance it out. There were a couple years in there. I didn't have trouble making money. I started to get burned out on too much psychic uh, healing work. It was just it started to get boring because I was doing too much of it. So I went and, you know, I, I did international child development work, you know, using my communications background. Mm. It's not cheating to have a career that's got five different kinds of blossoms on it. Mm. You know, it doesn't have to be a linear ladder. So 
so um, that's what my suggestion is. Don't. It's not a test of how good you are, whether you can make money from being a professional woo-woo or a professional healer or a professional spiritual teacher. It is, uh, money is a very skewed energy form. We don't, we pay people um, a lot of money to carry a football around and, and tackle other people and we pay mothers nothing. Mm. So we know it's a skewed energy form. We know that it doesn't align with most of our value. Mm. So allowing the, the money to determine your value is backwards. We have to let the value determine what we're willing to do to participate in the money economy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's true. And I think a lot of people realize deep down that what they're looking for is not money. What they're really looking for is freedom, is the ability to do what they want, when they want, with whomever they want, and not have anyone to tell them what to do or not to do, right? right. Um, we don't want those Lamborghini cars or that big mansion or that yacht. We just want freedom. Uh, yeah. And so... I received a download yesterday as I was meditating and what the universe told me was, you know, don't worry about, uh, you know, how much money you're going to make. Worry about taking care of somebody else, you know, worry about being, yeah. having that empathy to care about somebody, whether it's somebody who listens to your show or somebody that is your client or because if you care for somebody enough, uh -huh. then the universe will do its part about yeah. supporting yeah. you on your journey and that could be money or that could be free trips, free stays, right? Because you don't yeah. care, right? What What is done with the money? You, you just right. care that you're taken care of. And I think uh, that could that is something that people could use on their journey as well. Now, you've shared one spiritual experience that you had earlier on in your life where you had or somebody noticed that your grandmother was sort of beside you and trying mm -hmm. to communicate with you. Do any other mystical or spiritual experiences come to your mind? Something that maybe you experienced, but you, you can't quite explain even till today. Oh, gosh, it's an everyday experience for me. Every mm. single day, I get some message, some insight, some guidance, and it turns out to be kind of a touchstone that I can use to unpack and understand and navigate my experience. And, um, and, and there's been a lot of synchronicity. And I know as people start to awaken and listen to sort of the symbolic universe of, of energies, um, mm. often there is a lot of synchronicity and it's kind of cool. Like, oh, I was just thinking about my mother and then the phone rings. Mm. So, and you know, it's not just about being psychic. It's just about being tuned into that level of communication that's going on all the time, all the yep. time, the energies of, of mind, body, and spirit are communicating beneath the surface of our awareness. And the more you dip into it and listen to it and participate in it, the more it's just there. So, um, you know, I had funny experiences like uh, when I was in graduate school, I was walking down the street thinking, you know, I don't quite have enough money right now. Um, I need I'd love wouldn't it be great if I could just get like a, a a job one day a week. And I was I walked into this esoteric bookstore. It was a new age bookstore because um, someone had sent me. I was looking for a particular book. And the guy looked up from the cash register and he said, you wouldn't be interested in a job one day a week, would you? I had mm. 
And I thought, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, I would. And mm-hmm. <laughs> and I worked there for a couple years. And through that bookstore, I got in touch with lots of different uh, spiritual traditions. And I got a really beautiful education. I didn't get a lot of mo- money. It turned out I he paid me in books a lot. But yeah. I got a wonderful, wonderful education um, in the re- in the spiritual realms. So, um, but the other thing that I think I want to point to, because we're always looking for these miracles. Mm. Um, actually, can I tell a story about a client who had a miracle? Oh, sure. Um, because I think this is a, is a good illustration. It's in my book. I had a client who was a Catholic nun, mm. and she came to me for a psychic reading mm. years and years ago, and she was having and, and a healing. She, she had both, and she, um, she had a problem. Her elbow wasn't, she had an injury in her elbow and it wasn't healing. Mm. And she was having great difficulty because she worked in a school. She couldn't pick the kids up. She couldn't do her job well. And everybody counted on her. She was, she was, you know, very important to her whole community. So, um, and she was really mad that the elbow wouldn't heal and she didn't want to hear the advice. Well, give it a break, you know, take a, take a month off and don't use it and it can heal. She was really mad about that. And, and I said, well, what, you know, tell me about what makes you mad. And she said, well, here's the deal. 10 years ago, I had a cancerous tumor on my foot and I prayed and prayed to God. I really wanted God to remove this tumor. And the doctor said I had to schedule a surgery and I scheduled the surgery, but I didn't want the surgery. I felt like if I were spiritual enough, God would remove that tumor for me. And she said, and I prayed and I prayed and I did everything I, I knew to do. And I felt like a real failure as a nun because that tumor wasn't going away. And then one night I had a real awakening and I realized thy will, not my will be done. And that I needed to surrender mm. to the surgery as a healing for my foot, which was an interesting awareness. And you could say it was a psychic moment. However, what happened was she was scheduled to have the surgery the next day. And so at about six, seven in the morning, so around four or five in the morning, she was awakened from a sleep. And there was this light coming through the window and shining right onto her foot, right on the tumor. It was this very, very bright right light. And she felt all this tingling. And as she watched, the tumor shrank and shrank and shrank and disappeared. And she knew that the cancer was gone and that she'd been given her miracle. And, um, and she said, it totally transformed my relationship with faith and with God. And yet here I am, and I, I'm mad at myself that I can't do the same thing with my elbow. Mm. And I asked her, well, do you need another miracle in order to believe in, in God and your, your path? And she said, oh, no, 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 I believe in that. I, that, that. That was settled with the tumor. And I said, well, maybe the miracle here is you're being willing to trust that if you stop teaching for a month or two and let other people step in for you, the world won't fall apart. If you listen to your body and let this miracle guide you in this moment, that's just as much of a miracle as the light coming through the window. Now, that was a more exciting story. Mm. But we have miracles every moment, every day when we tune into how miraculous we are. I mean, we are really cool beings. We get guidance. We have miracles. I mean, just how we're structured is just it's, it's a really wonderful um, light show. You know, it's a real wonderful thing to watch and participate in. And so the guidance is always there. And mm. as I said earlier, what I really want to say to listeners, because I've got some great stories about real far out woo woo guidance is ask the question. Don't say, please give me a really far woo-woo experience, because I know someone who did that, and he ended up in a mental hospital when his kundalini awakened all of a sudden. No, just say, can I be awakened to something that will animate and delight my spirit, that will train my mind, that will bring my body to more wholeness? 
can I be shown those kinds of guidance? And you're going to get all kinds of stuff. It doesn't always come in the same moment. You might have to wait 24 to 48 hours. We plant the seeds. We have to sometimes wait for the, the plants to, to just take root, sprout, come to fruition, et cetera. Wonderful. Thanks a lot for sharing. So Action okay. Tribe, just ask these open-ended questions and be ready to whatever comes your way and be able to notice them as well. Uh, don't be close to something that you feel will manifest. Um, so let's talk about fears for a moment. Uh, Ellen, okay. uh, we all have these <laughs> subconscious fears within us, yeah. most of them yeah. irrational. But some of these fears have a way of uh, holding us back from the life that we truly want to live or the life that is meant to bring our best selves out. So how does a person go about overcoming these irrational subconscious fears using uh -huh. energy or dialogue of energy? Oh, I love that question. That's a good one. Um, <laughs> first of all, um, I think we need to unpack the, the concept of fear because what, sometimes what we call fear is in fact doubt. It's actually a mental state. I'm doubting I can be good enough. I'm doubting that I'll be successful. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of scenarios in which what I want won't happen. And those are all aspects of the mind. And there are lots of things you can do with the mind to pull it off the doubt uh, path. You could sing a nice song that you love. You know, <laughs> just sing a song. And if you really get into singing the song, it's really hard to keep thinking the doubt thoughts in that moment. Um, so that's part of fear. And then there's a physiological fear of, uh, of what I call your gatekeeper. Now, your gatekeeper is your immune system. It's your physical, emotional, energetic, spiritual immune system. And it yep. keeps the gates of self. It's a, just a mechanism. We, we know it as immune system. But it is keeper of our fear. It tells us this can come in. This has to stay out. This is safe. This is dangerous, right? Fear is about what's yep. going to keep me safe. What's yep. going to keep me whole? Yep. Well, the antidote to fear then is security. And it's not the idea of security, although 10 million in the bank would maybe be helpful. I don't know. Mm. It's in this moment, what can I do to address that, that sense of danger, of violation, of insecurity? Well, mm. and I have a lot in the book, lots and lots of activities and exercises. You can create a better boundary around yourself. You know, just figure eight the edge of your aura all the way around. Figure eight between the you and the not you to strengthen what I call the smart filter, which sits at the edge of the aura and it filters experiences in terms of what's safe, what can come in, what's dangerous, what should stay out. The mm -hmm. stronger your smart filter, the less fear you're going to feel. Yeah. Um, you can take your two hands, rub them together. I call these healing hands. You say to your left hand, where do you want to go right now? Mm. Put it somewhere on the body or field it wants to go. Okay, I'm going to put it right here. Take your other and people should do this with me. Why not? Get the benefit. Unless you're mm -hmm. driving. Don't do this if you're driving. Okay. So take your hand. Take your other hand. Say, where do you want to go? Right now. Mine wants to go here, which is not convenient for the picture. But that's where mine wants to go. But where does your hand want to go? It may be different from where my hand wants to go. Right? Mm -hmm. I'm doing this. This is speaking to something in my body-mind communication. The hands speak energy pretty fluently. So if you use your hands to speak to the fear... Rather than your brain, which is probably co-creating the fear, your hands can show you a path. What I do is just keep moving. Does this hand want to move? Okay, now I'm going to put it here. Does this hand want to move? Now it's going here. Does this hand want to move? Okay. And over time, I did that faster than you would normally do it. It creates a circuit that makes you feel whole and safe again. It calms not only the fear, but um, the anger or any other energy 
that is galloping out of balance. Right. Okay, so simple tools like that. When you speak the language, simple vocabulary works. Right. Got it. Got it. I love that. Thanks a lot for sharing. And uh, the fact that the healing hands uh, can guide us to where we need healing the most. And the fact that it's a process. And just because you have that irrational fear within, sometimes it takes time to sort of heal yourself because it's a process of, uh, you know, step by step. And it's not always language, but sometimes it's, you know, uh, beyond language. And speaking about beyond language, you give a lot of emphasis in your book to shapes and structures when it comes to healing. And I've read a lot about sacred geometry that can yes. initiate a healing response. And you talk about the star tetrahedron shape. Mm-hmm. So talk to us about how shapes can help us balance our energy. Maybe you could talk okay. about the star in particular. Okay. Yeah. Um, in, uh, and I'll, I'll compare it. I'll, I'll make an analogy to language. Sure. In language, we don't just have words. We have phrases. We have sentence structure. We have, we have grammar, right? We, yeah. have, we have syntax. We have grammar. And that's all to say that we go beyond that whole phrase of the single word. We put them together to mean something. And so in energy work, it's not just pure energy. It's not just, okay, I'm going to bring in the light now. I'm going to bring in the sound now. Those are the building blocks. Those are the vocabulary. But then how do we shape that sound? How do we shape that that color? How do we shape a movement? And Mm. so I talk about shapes, both literal shapes, like a geometric shape, but I also Mm. talk about rhythm, which is part of how we, and, and, and tuning, how we shape sound. So, um, so the body responds to shape in a kind of more holistic way. Like um, all around the world, people draw this heart shape. Mm. I've heard Donna Eden talk about this too. All around the world, people draw this heart shape. It's not the anatomical shape of the heart. Mm. But around the world, when you do mm. this, people know that you're expressing love. Mm. You're not sending them an anatomical heart. You're sending them the energy that is that comes to us through the heart chakra, right? Mm. It's this symbol. This symbol speaks all over the body. So if you're feeling unloved, start tracing hearts all over your body mm. because your body understands that um, universal shape, mm. right? And there's other universal shapes. Um, one is the five-pointed star. Now mm. that you'll find that in Chinese medicine, but you also find it in traditional pagan uh, religions, and you also find it in Native American traditions. This star seems to have a universal meaning mm. of balancing all our elements, of, <laughs> of control and flow. And so you could take the five-pointed star and the circle that surrounds it and draw that on your physical owies. And it helps to organize the energies. It's like doing acupressure or acupuncture on yourself. It can be very powerful to recalibrate the communication of energies in that one place, in that one moment. So that's, you know, so I talk about not only universal shapes that I give, you know, the circle has a universal shape. It's something that has no beginning and no end. The figure eight is the shape that energies travel in. So people who see energies say the more figure eights they see in someone's aura in their energy field, the healthier that person is. Well, Mm. in that case, start drawing, you know, bring figure eight. Yeah. Because if the more I have, the better I am. We can yeah. use talking hands, our speaking, our energy speaking hands to bring that energetic truth into our now. 
And um, one thing I want to say about healing is, is that if we aren't in the now, it's almost impossible to heal. If we're thinking of the 20 steps we need to do to get to this goal we want to set, we're going to get frustrated if we don't love step number two on its own terms and really inhabit it. Yeah. Because if you don't inhabit step number two, you don't have the foundation for whatever other steps you're going to take. Yeah. So it is about bringing the reality of, I yes, maybe I have a diagnosis. Maybe I've been told I have Parkinson's. But in this moment, what does this body need, body, mind, and spirit need mm. to be more whole, to work better, to have mm. energies, have good form, good fueling? You know, do I need fuel that I'm not getting? Do I need love? Do I need color? Do I need um, inspiration? What do I need in this moment that fuels me? And then yeah. what can I use to organize it? And so the shapes are one of the tools that I offer for organizing energy in this moment. And, you know, if you have moment after moment after moment of bringing your attention, finding, not fixing things. This isn't about spending your whole life fixing what's wrong. This is about spending your whole life living what's right, living what's mm -hmm. true, living what has the most potential for you in that moment. Mm -hmm. You know, it's now you're giving me, now I'm thinking of all kinds of quotes I couldn't think of at the beginning. You know, don't, postpone, <laughs> don't postpone joy. Right. Yeah. Don't joy. Don't post yeah. gratification. Yeah. And, and when we do that, the energy returns to us. The money returns to us. Everything. It's not, you don't do it in order to get the return. You do it because it's the best, most wonderful thing to do. And the return then almost doesn't matter. The return is the next moment. You don't have to worry about that because in that next moment, you'll have a new inspiration and a new shape and a new yeah. fuel and a new um task or challenge that hopefully you can make it fun. Mm. I mean, if you're going through your day, I had a client the other day who was, had chronic, chronic fatigue. She just could not keep her energy. So I, I asked her, okay, are you the kind of person when you eat, do you eat all the, all the stuff you don't like first and leave the best bite to last? Or do you take the favorite thing as the first bite and then work your way down to the things you don't like so much on your plate? And mm. she's, oh, I always save the best light bite to last. I always eat, you know, whatever vegetables I might not like or whatever I put on the plate because I felt I had to. I always start with that. And I said, well, how is it in your life? She said, oh, I get up in the morning. I have a list of chores. I do everything that has to be done. And then if I have energy at the end of the day, maybe I'll get to what would really feed me or fulfill me. Mm. And I said, so you ask why you're tired all the time. You're not going for the thing that gives you fuel. What if you turn it around, get up and do something that fuels you first thing, first thing in the morning, do something that feeds you on a deep level. And that doesn't have to be spirituality. I mean, for some people, you know, cleaning the dishes from last night can be spiritual or ironing, you know, yep. whatever the task is, but whatever fulfills you do that first. And then maybe you intersperse things you have to do, but you have to keep building the fuel up because if you don't keep refueling through the day, mm -hmm. you you get fatigued and then you can't do, you know, it, it, everything becomes an obligation. Will I ever mm -hmm. get to what I really want? Right. That's pretty interesting to look at things that way in terms of, you know, uh, when you're having that meal that you really like, do you wait for, do you have the parts that you don't like first and then have the thing right. that you really want? Like I remember when I was a kid and we used to have uh, shrimps, I used to wait 
you know, till the last to have the shrimps because I love the shrimps. But then now I know if you look at the law of diminishing returns, the more you eat, the less full you are. So technically the amount of, uh, you know, uh, satisfaction that you can draw from the when you when you hold it to the last is less Uh as as opposed to if you if you gobble it up immediately because you're hungry. And so it's interesting to look at what decisions people take um, and how that decision making can apply in their life. Uh, So and in your book, you talk about, you know, touch, the importance of touch and the role that it plays when it comes to healing. So talk to us a little bit about about the importance of of touch and then talk about also what if a person doesn't have access to that touch? Uh, Uh How can they get the benefits of touch in their lives as well? Because not everyone has access to that, right? Not everyone has maybe that significant other or they have people around them, but the people may not be so touchy-feely. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. sure. Um, We don't all have access to other people touching us. Yeah. But if you have hands at all, you have access to your own touch. Your own own body, if you don't have hands... You could, you know, and and arms, you can go to your shoulder. You can put yeah. your legs together. Touch is, it, it, you know, our the sense of feel or touch is our largest sense organ. It's, a, it's, yeah. our, it's our whole being. Correct. So it it is also maybe the first part of the vocabulary of the language of energy that we have access to. Mm-hmm. Before we learn all the other parts of the language of energy, we learn touch. Yeah. And, you know, those people who don't have it die. I mean, babies who aren't touched That's at true. all. They die. I mean, there's all these research things where kids who don't get the stimulation and touch, mm. they don't survive. Mm. That's how vital it is to us. So think about what happens in a culture that sexualizes touch, which is America for now. <laughs> the American culture yeah. has, has has a very skewed sense of sexuality, and they've they've equated touch with a sexual activity. We can't just touch a child because it's suspect. We can't yeah. touch a stranger. It's suspect. And I'm not saying, oh, we ought to be able to. It's how sad it is that this vital part of our instrumental communication is cut off because we have a skewed relationship to sexuality. Wouldn't it be nice if that could be healed so that if I if I liked you, it would be natural to reach out and just cup your face for a moment and and say, what is what a dear soul you are? And you wouldn't Mm, think, oh, coming on to me. You know, why would you think that? You know, and I can I can signal it in other ways. But we don't have a way to interpret touch because we're, you know, it's in America, it's a Puritan culture. Now, in Italy, that's not the problem. There's other issues. <clears throat> and Italy's better at touch and they're better at speaking with their hands. So they, Italians should be very, very good with um, language of energy, as should uh, Hispanics, right? right? But you okay. don't have. So when I talk about touch, I'm starting with self-touch. self-touch. If I feel crappy. And I'm up in my brain. That's not who's going to help me right now. I got to get down in my hands really quick or my feet. You know, I can rub my feet in the grass and the earth can kiss me. The earth can touch me and can feed me and nourish me. And that is touch. That's feel and touch. It's returning to that language because that language is so eloquent and it speaks to the body more directly than any other form of vocabulary. I mean, sound influences us. Light influences and color influences us, rhythm, um, direct knowing. Lots of things influence the energies, mm. but touch is one of the most primal and primary. So if you aren't touchy-feely in the privacy of your room, don't do this in public, in mm. the privacy of your space, start experiencing touching yourself. And I'm not talking about the sexual touch. I'm talking about how do you touch yourself to console yourself? 
Mm. How do you touch yourself to congratulate yourself? Mm. You touch yourself to um, to to um, cheer yourself on. Mm. How do you touch yourself just to recognize the moment? How do you touch yourself to give support, etc.? Whatever you might want from another person, can you come up with a touch for yourself that communicates what you're yearning to get from someone else? Because if you have a well-developed self-touch dialogue going on, you don't need that from other people. It's nice when you get it, but you feel really loved. You feel really seen. You feel really heard. You feel really met. You feel really held because you are. Mm. So if we're missing something, if you're missing something, step back and say, how could I provide this for myself? And of course, when you do provide it for yourself, you create an energy that attracts that in other people, you know, and self-love in all forms attracts other people to love you better because you, you you look happier, you know, right? <laughs> you look more like someone they want to know. That's and you true. don't look and, needy, and people aren't attracted to neediness. Absolutely. And thanks a lot for sharing the importance of touch and that you do not need intimacy, particularly touching from somebody else. You can touch yourself, go out for a barefoot walk and touch the grass uh, or even get intimate with a certain part of your body without having to sexualize it. Like mm-hmm. I, I find uh, yoga to be really useful in uh-huh. uh, getting to know different parts of your body like you wouldn't otherwise. Yeah. Uh, whether it's creating space or closing space, mm-hmm. even like just last evening, there was a pose which I did where I was touching my leg, this theater, yeah. holding my leg, hugging my leg. Uh, and I think that's uh, useful because you don't have such experiences in day-to-day life right. without people thinking you're funny or judging yeah. you, right? Uh, right? But that's amazing. Uh, uh, so how does a person go about discovering their purpose? I think this is a question that a lot of people have. About 100 years back, if your father worked in a factory, then that's what you would do. If your father right. was a doctor or a lawyer, then there's a high likelihood that you would be doing the same thing. No social right. media, no podcast, no YouTube. But these days, because it's so easy to access information, I think it has created an environment for multi-talented people who like to do many things. Like they love right. marketing, but they also love healing work. They love writing in the mornings. They love making right. films, taking out their iPhone or their camera. So what advice do you have for somebody who is multi-talented, has multiple interests, who wants to find their calling, maybe discover uh-huh. their purpose? And I think you've alluded right. to this a bit in the, before in our interview, but maybe if yeah. you could share your thoughts on this. Yes. And I talk about it a lot in the book, so it's a, it's an excellent question. Um, I believe that um, energy is not generic. Soul energy is not generic. We're not all the same. So, um, it, you know, if you think of it as different flavors, you're a different combination of flavors than I am. And so the recipes I'm going to make for myself are going to use the flavors that are I have built into me, as mm. do you. So the things that people love to do usually are indications of what I call your soul feeds. What are these streams of energy that fuel you, that really make you come alive, that are the core flavors of your being, the core energetic truths of your being? And very few people only have one energetic truth. So very few people really have one mission in life. Yeah. Most of us learn that there's certain missions that we ha- we can get money for and ones we can't. And so that gets, again, distorted into, I've got to be a such and such. I have to be a healer. And yeah, I'm a healer. I'm a messenger. I'm a teacher. I'm a uh, walker between the worlds. I'm, you know, I'm a visionary. I'm a shaper, a framer, I call it. I have lots of core feeds. And those core feeds are truths of my nature. And I look for activities that allow me to do those, uh, use those energies. So if you take a, make a list of everything you love, 
either to do or to, to um, be an audience for, it's going to give you some ideas about what are the flavors that awaken your particular self? What are the flavors that might feed you? You can also look at what you're good at, like, and ask your friends, you know, what, what do you think my particular gifts or not just talents, but potentials are? And they'll say, oh, you know, you're a natural networker, or you really love solving problems. You're a natural detective, or you really like finishing things. You finish my sentences all the time. You can't stand right. things undone. Mm. Or you love to plant seeds. You never finish anything, but oh my God, some of the seeds you plant are really cool. Or, mm. you know, you're a visionary and you're up in the sky, but but you love to be in that realm. Or you love to see things through beginning to middle to end. You're really an implementer. And as you wow. begin to see these roles and these purposes, these energetic truths, you can start to put together a profile of who you really are. And our culture is so often screwed, skewed. Again, if someone spends her life being a mother and they go to a party, and, and in America, of course, everyone asks, what do you do? That's not so true in Canada or other, other um, countries. But the first thing you hear at a party is, oh, so what do you do? And the answer used to be, you know, I'm an engineer, I'm a this. And women would say, oh, I'm just a, uh, I'm just a housewife and a mother. Just. As if that's not a sacred task to take care of the next generation. And again, it comes from good value system. Well, we don't have to buy into that. So the new generation is so wonderful. People about, you know, 35 and under. And, and I noticed I, I lived in Canada for many years and it was much more acceptable there to have four or five things you love to do. And in mm -hmm. fact, when I met people at party at parties, they often asked me, well, what's your volunteer work? You know, they were interested in what were the things I spent my time on besides whatever my official job title was, because mm -hmm. they assumed everybody had multiple interests. So what we have to do is we have to kind of reclaim our multiplicity mm -hmm. and our specificity. You and I are not the same flavors and we're both delicious and, as are other people choose the food thing. But that's my earthiness coming out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so. How you find your mission is by not trying to winnow it down and dilute it, distill it down to one thing, but see it as a mosaic or as a composite that's created by how you choose to live and express yourself in your life. And not just outward, but what energies bring you most alive. And if you can answer that, you know, today what brings me alive is reading this junk novel. Mm. Then that's that's soul's purpose, because something in that novel, in that junk novel, is going to be a thought or phrase that maybe two weeks later you find yourself giving to another person in a much less cheesy fashion that will really help them. You know, That's it's true. all hotter for the fire of, you know, we, we, we're alchemists, all of us, taking yeah. experience and processing it, metabolizing it, and mm. then putting it out in other forms. Yeah. And so how you find your purpose is you look at, well, what do I take in? Can I metabolize it? How do I metabolize it and process it? And then what ask, what ways do I have to put that out? What forms are available to me? And frustrated people who don't know their mission, sometimes they know their mission. They just don't know what form they can find to put it out in. Mm. So Thanks a lot for sharing. That's really, really incredible that you share that because what came to my mind is like, as individuals, you know, we might not be doing just one thing. It's sort of like a mosaic, like you mentioned. And you might take this course and that course and read this book and come across this experience or maybe go through this difficulty. But the way right. you express it might be completely different 
maybe different as compared to how the author intended also. And I think right. that's that expression is is beautiful. And the other thing I want to say is, um, yesterday in my Facebook, I posted this question: If I were to give a TED talk, mm-hmm. then what topic do you think uh-huh. I should speak about? Because I think that brings about what people think you are good at or what you uh-huh. would be uh-huh. great at sharing or talking about. Um, right. And so thanks a lot for sharing. Action Tribe, I hope you enjoyed our session today. Um, and you have now some insights into how you can start communicating with your energy and the different aspects of yourself and the world around you. It's time to gather up parts of yourself that you thought were separate and use practices such as meditation or breath work and yoga and journaling to go deep within so that you can connect with your higher self. And there's so much distraction in our lives, especially with YouTube and social media and our mobile phones that we've forgotten to really be in touch with ourselves, our thoughts, our emotions and our body. So the key then is to take a step back and really disconnect and then connect. Because as Shakti Gawain once put, spiritual healing occurs as we begin to consciously reconnect with our essential being, the wise, loving, powerful, creative entity that we are at our core. And with that being said, we are now at our very last round for today, which is called the Wisdom Round. Four questions so that our listeners can take note and take action. So Ellen, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Um, that energy is our first language. I, you know, I got that from my guides and I got it from Donna Eden. Great. And if you could turn back time and spend one hour with someone who is currently living or dead, who would it be? Um, I'd like to sit down with Gandhi. <laughs> okay. And what is it one thing you do in the morning or maybe in the evening before you sleep that has improved the quality of your life? I check into my energies and I see what needs more connection or more attention. And I spend a few moments attending or connecting and uh, let helping things flow again. And finally, if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be? Well, my new book, of course. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's called The Language Your Body Speaks. Um, but apart from that, I would also recommend Donna Eden's book, Energy Medicine. And her, her name is spelled E-D-E-N. It's a wonderful book. Awesome. We'll have both these books in the show notes. Have you released your book on Audible as well, or is it yeah, just in... It's not out on Audible okay. um, yet, but if there's enough requests for it, maybe they'll do that. But at this point, n- n- none of the Audible companies have picked it up. But it is available on Kindle as well as in okay. print. Awesome. We'll yeah. share it, and I hope it comes on Audible pretty soon because yeah. our listeners know that all of them receive one Audible book free just for listening to this show, complimentary of audible.com. Uh, with a with a 30-day trial so that they can check out what it's like to listen to a book as opposed to read a book. Uh, because the truth is that listening is the new reading. And the fact that you, my friend, are listening to this podcast right now proves my point. And I definitely love listening to all the different audibles in my book. And I know for a fact that Energy Medicine by Donna Eden is available on Audible and you can pick it up for free. So to try it out, go to my7chakras.com forward slash free book. Once again, that's my7chakras.com forward slash free book to start listening to Audible. So Ellen, thank you so much for joining us today. Before you go, tell us one thing that you're grateful for and how can we find you online? Okay. I'm grateful for anyone who has kind eyes. I think we need a lot of kindness right now. And I'm grateful when I meet someone with kind eyes. 
And how you can um, find out about me or reach me, um, I have a website, www.ellenmeredith.com. And my last name is spelled M-E-R-E-D-I-T-H, ellenmeredith.com. But I also have a YouTube channel for those of you who like to watch and listen. And it's Energy Wisdom, no, Energy Medicine with Ellen Meredith. And I've got a lot of stuff. One thing I do want to say, because we're taping during a pandemic, is that I have posted a free class. It's an eight-video class. Mm on self-help, energy medicine, self-help tools for enhancing immunity and uh, prote- not just protecting yourself, but supporting yourself during this time of, um, of physical challenge. Great. So we'll have these links also in the show notes. Action Tribe, if you want to learn more about Ellen, go to ellenmeredith.com or just check out her YouTube channel, Energy Medicine with Ellen Meredith. And uh, I saw that she's got this eight-part video series, as well as a series with Donna Eden, like an interview-based series, which is amazing. So Action Tribe, if you're on Instagram, then take a screenshot of this episode and tag me so that I can share your story with our community. My handle is at my7chakras, at my7chakras. And as I shared earlier, if you'd like to download your 24-page PDF outlining some of my favorite ways to raise my vibrations and start feeling better, then visit my7chakras.com forward slash feel better now. My seven chakras, seven is a word, my seven chakras.com forward slash feel better now. And Ellen, thank you so much for appearing on our show, talking to us about the language of our energy and taking us one step closer to a human revolution. Thank you for listening to My Seven Chakras at my seven chakras.com. That is my S E V E N chakras.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.